2: Today on Inside Politics, disqualified. Team Trump is gearing up to appeal a stunning ruling in Colorado that would kick the former president off the state's ballot. Now Trump's fate may be headed toward the Supreme Court. Plus, Trump says, quote, I've never read Mein Kampf. That's how he's responding to accusations that some of his racist rhetoric sounds like Hitler. He used some of the same language again last night. Hitting the road, President Biden is in a key swing state today trying to convince the voters of Wisconsin that his policies are making their lives better. As sources tell CNN, he's growing increasingly frustrated that it's taking so long to implement his signature legislative achievements. I'm Jim Acosta, and for Dana Bash, let's go Behind the Headlines and Inside Politics. We want to start with the historic decision putting this country in unchartered legal and electoral territory. The Colorado Supreme Court ruled Donald Trump is not eligible to be a presidential candidate because of the 14th Amendment's insurrectionist ban. That ban from the Civil War era says a person can't hold any office if they, quote, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Trump's team is vowing to appeal the 4-3 to ruling, which means it's likely headed to the Supreme Court. Here's what Colorado Secretary of State said about that moments ago.
1: Ballot certification is in a couple weeks on January 5th. And we do hope that if the Supreme Court is going to take the case that they do so quickly, uh, because we need to make sure that the right people are on the ballots when Colorado votes in the presidential primary. But as of today, If the U.S. Supreme Court does not take the case, uh, if those appeals are not filed, Donald Trump is not qualified as a candidate in the state of Colorado.
2: And CNN's Carrie Cordero and Evan Perez are with me now. Uh, Carrie, what's your take on all this? What do you think?
3: Well, obviously, uh, this is this really, really historic case by the Colorado Supreme Court. It absolutely is going to go to the U.S. Supreme Court as soon as the former president files his appeal. And the Supreme Court of Colorado teed up a number of really weighty constitutional issues of first impression for the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, One being whether or not the office of the presidency is an officer, Uh, that sounds like it might be straightforward, but actually under constitutional analysis, it's not. Uh, And then second, whether or not the district court was correct to find that the former president engaged in an insurrection and whether that means just by the record created by the district court that the former president can be disqualified under the 14th Amendment. So huge constitutional issues, um, important matters of constitutional analysis, and we'll see how this plays out with the Supreme Court.
2: Yeah, it is huge. And Evan, I, I do want to read from the Colorado Supreme Court ruling, if I can, for a second. President Trump, it says, did not merely incite the insurrection, even when the siege on the Capitol was fully underway. He continued to support it by repeatedly demanding that Vice President Mike Pence refused to perform his constitutional duty and by calling senators to persuade them to stop the counting of electoral votes. These actions con- constituted overt, voluntary and direct participation in in the insurrection. Uh, Evan, I mean, they're, they're kind of ticking through Trump's actions from that day. It's fascinating to see the Supreme
4: Court include all of this in their ruling. Right. No, Jim, they went through chapter and verse of everything that the former president did on January 6th and things he didn't do to try to stop the violence, to try to try, stop his followers or encourage his followers to to, to to cease the violence. They also go all the way back to months before the election where Trump started laying the, the groundwork for claiming that the election was rigged if he lost. And so one of the things that I thought was, was interesting on page 130, where they say in conducting our independent review of the district court's factual findings we agree that President Trump intended that his speech would result in the use of violence uh, to prevent this the peaceful transfer of power those are really weighty words to come from the supreme from this state Supreme Court and certainly will, will reverberate uh, beyond this now let me say this um, the, the the big thing that I think uh, the, 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 the US Supreme Court is going to have to decide is, you know if you look at the 14th Amendment it does not mention specifically the office of President of the United States And so the question is you know here the this the, the Colorado Supreme Supreme Court says well, of course he's covered, right? Um, right. But you know, I think you can see a, a, an avenue for the the justices of the US Supreme Court to, to, to Go in another direction because clearly if the founders of the country intended for that office uh, to be included They would have said so and, and I should note these, uh, these types of uh, challenges have failed in other states, in New Hampshire, in Michigan, in Minnesota. This is the first court that has found this way.
2: Uh, Carrie, Evan doesn't sound uh, too convinced that this is going to get through the Supreme Court. Uh, what's your sense of it? I mean, what about this, this aspect that, um, that the president is not technically covered under the 14th Amendment.
3: Right. So it would it would require the U.S. Supreme Court to analyze that issue specifically. And the Supreme Court of Colorado, I think, really took pains to lay out its arguments in its opinion in a way that uh, provides a really fulsome analysis for the U.S. Supreme Court to review. So reviewing the history of that particular section, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is all laid out in the written opinion. And there is an argument that the uh, majority makes in the Colorado Supreme Court opinion that says it would be nonsensical that every, every other officer of the, uh, who could be elected in the U.S. government would be disqualified except for the president. So that's one reading of it. On the other hand, it also goes through through some history where some early drafts of the Constitution of this particular section had the president listed and then Mm. was removed. So the Supreme Court of the United States will have to do a very thorough historical analysis looking at both the text of the Constitution and the context around it.
2: Yeah, Donald Trump taking us in all sorts of legal directions, constitutional directions uh, during this election cycle. Uh, Kerry and Evan, uh, thank you very much. Donald Trump's legal problems are a big part of his political strategy right now. Right after the Colorado Supreme Court ruled he can't appear on the state's primary ballot, the Trump campaign sent out a fundraising email. Now much of the rest of the 2024 Republican field is defending the former president uh, who they're trying to defeat in the primary. Here's Ron DeSantis earlier today.
5: There was no trial on any of this. They basically just said, what, you can't be on the ballot? Could we just say that Biden can't be on the ballot because he let in 8 million illegals uh, into the country and violated the Constitution, which he
6: has?
2: All right. I want to bring in my political panel on this. Uh, CNN's M.J. Lee, Bloomberg's Nia Malika Henderson and Semaphore's uh, David Weigel. Uh, Nia, I mean, to you first, I, I, you have to hand it to Trump. Um, He's going to get us to the Supreme Court, uh, maybe even before these primaries and caucuses get started, on a massive constitutional issue.
7: That's right. And and listen, it's hard to imagine uh, that this Trump (laughs) Supreme Court doesn't side with him. I mean, legal scholars are all over the place uh, in terms of this decision. Obviously, the courts have been split uh, as well in the different states. Uh, But listen, I think these kinds of uh, actions uh, and consequences that the president faced ultimately sort of uh, bind his base together, right, the sort of grievances uh, what they see as a witch hunt, this just gins up the base. And listen, uh, he should send Ron DeSantis a bouquet of flowers, uh, <laughs> and, you know, as well as everybody else uh, in the race, the other Republicans who are trying to defeat him but are actually just defending him and helping him.
2: Yeah, once again, uh, Dave Weigel, I mean, it just seems uh, it's uncanny the way Trump has been able to get these Republican rivals in this 2024 field from time to time to, defend him
5: he, he has and and they've seen what's happened to his fundraising although it has decreased from scandal to scandal indictment to indictment uh, you also have seen from some of the Republicans as the vote gets closer realization that this is their last chance to beat him a little bit of the change up in the rhetoric. And and if you, what DeSantis went on to say in Urbandale from that speech this, this morning is, we don't know what else is going to happen with Donald Trump. There's a, he didn't say sort of Damocles, but that's what he's referring to. There's something hanging over his head that Democrats might use to get him off the ballot. When you when you see Nikki Haley, she said this in New Hampshire last week, I'm leading down uh, Joe Biden by 17 points. Uh, if you nominate me, there's no more drama. Hint, hint, that recovers all the stuff we're talking about and going to be continued talking about in, in the courts. I can win and a, a, a bigger majority than he can. They're starting to argue to these voters that there are risks if they nominate Biden. And You saw in the Times-Siena poll today, about a quarter of Republican voters say they are worried about an indictment. Now, that means 75% are not, that is their right. problem. A lot of, most Republicans yeah. say yeah. he's gonna Pretty get honest. off this and the, yeah. and, and the fact that he's in trouble proves that he's our most electable candidate. That's well, where most of the base still is. Yeah,
2: let's show that. I mean, we have that poll handy, uh, Dave. Thank you for queuing that up for us. If Donald Trump wins the GOP primary and is convicted, 70% say <laughs> right. he should still be the nominee. 24% say he should not be the nominee. Uh, MJ Lee, let me go to you. I mean, you're, you're over at the White House. You talked to the Biden people. What do they make of all this?
8: Well, uh publicly and officially, they're not commenting. And I do think there is a real element of the White House, the Biden campaign. They, too, are processing all of this in real time like everybody else, right? The unprecedented nature of all of this. And it's not like, Jim, there's some like, playbook at the White House that they can refer back to on the last time Let's dust off our 14th Amendment
2: playbook. (laughs) Right.
8: There isn't like a strategy that they've used in the past that they can refer back to. Uh, What they said officially this morning is that they're obviously not going to comment on these ongoing uh, legal proceedings, but that they look forward to beating Donald Trump or whoever else ends up being the nominee. I mean, I think that last part is really key. Whoever else potentially ends up being the nominee... There's no sort of guarantee, there's no absolute sort of assuming that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. And I think Democrats uh, clearly are thinking about that more as something like this last night happens, that there is very much the possibility that it isn't going to be a Biden versus Donald Trump.
2: Yeah, and, and Nia, I mean, one of the other, uh, I guess, responses to all this came from Vivek Ramaswamy. We can play some of that, talk about it on the other side.
9: I pledge to withdraw from the Colorado GOP primary ballot, unless and until Trump's name is restored. And I demand that Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie and Nikki Haley do the same thing, or else these Republicans
2: are simply complicit. Uh, Nia, what happened to states' rights?
7: Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I mean, listen, this guy, <laughs> you know,
2: I guess he's going to be around until Colorado. Yeah, I, he, yeah.
7: he thinks he's going to be around. I mean, yeah. he can withdraw. He can be on the ballot. He's not going to win the nomination. He's not going to win a single state. Uh, and, and listen, it looks like it's hard to imagine any of these other folks at this point winning a single state either. I mean, you right. look at uh, the polls, there is still such a uh, love, admiration, uh, respect uh, for Trump among GOPers.
2: And uh, just a few moments ago, we got some reaction from President Biden. Uh, to all of this. He said, quote, I think it's self-evident that Trump is an insurrectionist. Uh, This uh, from the president talking to reporters on Air Force One uh, in Milwaukee. He went on to say whether the 14th Amendment applies, I'll let the court make that decision. So MJ, uh, we were wondering, what does the White House think about this? What does the president think about this? I mean, he has been pretty uh, outspoken from time to time, hasn't been in recent days about the dictator comments and echoing Hitler and so on. But the president has been outspoken from time to time, and he wants this to be about democracy, preserving democracy in this next election. Yes,
8: and that and that has been completely central to the way in which this current president has talked about his predecessor, uh, and that uh, this idea that if he were to be the GOP nominee again, what kind of threat we are talking about is like this existential threat to the country, threat to democracy, uh, and all of that. I think he is more than happy, clearly, to make that argument, the thing that he's still not going to touch, just like his campaign White House, White House officials, is the legal side of things, that that really is uh, in the court's hands to decide.
2: Yeah. D- Dave, do you think the White House, do you think the Biden people have been too hesitant to to dive in on this, to touch this subject, to talk about it?
5: Uh, I don't think so. Look at what has happened to them politically in, in the Republican conversation around hunter biden's and hunter biden's legal problems if you if you want some evidence the president's not personally commanding the doj to do his his bidding there's there's the fact that his son has been indicted twice and that does not ameliorated any of this Republican conversation that Trump, that Joe Biden is leading the deep state to disqualify Donald Trump. I think they, they have to be cautious because if you turn to the conversation on on, on X uh, at, at Trump rallies, the narrative is very set. They're so afraid of Donald Trump that they're going to use every mechanism they have in the federal government to disqualify the only man they're afraid of. Mm-hmm. It's a good idea for the president to back out of that conversation.
2: All right, very good. Uh, guys, a lot more to talk about up next. Uh, We headed to Des Moines, Iowa, with a look at what all this means for the former president's campaign in that critical battleground state.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's
1: A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail.
2: Welcome back to Inside Politics. You're looking at live pictures right now of Nikki Haley. She's hosting a town hall in Burlington, Iowa, trying to convince voters there that she represents a new generation of Republicans who can move the party past the chaos of Donald Trump. And we saw some of that last night at a Trump rally in Waterloo, Iowa, seen as Jeff Zeleny was there. Uh, Jeff, um, again, things that I never thought I would be saying during a a campaign cycle, but we heard the former president invoking Adolf Hitler. Um, What can you tell us about that?
9: Jim, we did. The former president, uh, Donald Trump, was making his fourth visit to Iowa in less than a month, really trying to uh, deliver a decisive victory here in the Iowa caucuses and talking about Adolf Hitler, insisting that his words uh, against immigrants, his heated rhetoric and racist rhetoric against migrants were not inspired by Adolf Hitler. Uh, take a listen to how he described uh, why he says he's not inspired by Adolf Hitler. They're ruining our country. And it's true. They're destroying the blood of our country. That's what they're doing. They're destroying our country. They don't like it when I said that. And I never read Mein Kampf. They said, oh, Hitler said that in a much different way. So he's been talking about immigrants in that fashion, Jim, you'll remember, of course, for quite some time. But the rhetoric has gotten even more intense, more sharp, more pointed, clearly trying to Uh, tap into what is an actual issue in this election, an issue in this country, is immigration. But he's going beyond any uh, solutions or ideas and talking specifically in this type of language. When you talk to voters about how they react to it, they say, oh, that's just Donald Trump being Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. We miss his policies. But if they get his policies, Um, Of course, they'll get so much more. But, Jim, 26 days before the Iowa caucuses, he's leading this race without question. But as you said, Nikki Haley trying to make her case, Ron DeSantis here in Iowa as well. So not a single vote has been cast, but it seems like the die perhaps has. Jim.
2: Yeah, Jeff, and I'm just wondering when you talk to those Trump supporters, you indicated this a little bit there. Are there looks of bewilderment on their faces when he mentions Adolf Hitler and Mein Kampf? Or is it? I mean, do they just say, oh, there goes Trump again, okay. and they lap it up?
9: It's more the latter, but there was really not a lot of applause. It was a very low-energy uh, Trump rally, as many of them recently have been. Uh, you know, Jim, you've been to uh, many of them, of course, over the years, as have I, and it's you know there is not a lot of energy, and the supporters aren't necessarily hanging on every word. They like the idea of him, but at that moment in the speech talking about Hitler, in fact, there was very little response at all positive, or perhaps even more importantly, negative as well,
2: Jim. All right, Jeff. Uh, Thanks so much. Let's bring back our political panel on this. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Nia, when I listen to Donald Trump talking about Hitler and Mein Kampf, I almost wonder if I've had too much NyQuil the night before. I mean, it it is, it's a little fever dreamy. It's a little strange. And we should note when he says, well, I, I haven't read Mein Kampf, I don't own a copy of Mein Kampf, I mean, we should note there was a 1990 Vanity Fair article where, you know, it was reported that Ivana Trump, his first wife, said Donald Trump had a book of Hitler quotes. And so this has come up in biographies about Donald Trump, people talking about Donald Trump, his past and so on, that he has had something of a fascination with Adolf Hitler over the years. Again, surreal to talk about. But let's talk about it.
7: This is where we are. And listen, this is where we have been with Donald Trump, right? Um, A fascination uh, with dictators, a fascination uh, with the idea of Uh, white America and sort of the idea that outsiders uh, can sort of spoil uh, white America. That's essentially what he was saying. And and listen, Donald Trump knows what he's doing, right? He is going into the Iowa caucus. As you think about uh, the group of voters there, white evangelicals, white evangelicals, if you look at sort of the broad spectrum of Republican voters, white evangelicals are among the most anti-immigrant group of voters. I mean, it's one of the reasons why uh, they were so attracted to him in uh, 2016. Similar rhetoric, uh, build a wall, Mexico's going to pay for it. His initial speech was about uh, Mexicans coming to America and raping and killing uh, Americans. So this is Donald Trump. I think it has a broad appeal uh, among those folks in, in Iowa, and uh, that's that's certainly why he's doing it.
8: And I still I still remember that so clearly from when I covered Donald Trump back in the 2016 campaign and talking to voters across the country. Um, yes, like there's sort of extreme, you know, offensive things that Donald Trump will say that, you know, voters are willing to sort of either push off to the side or say, I think I know what he means. Like, he doesn't totally mean exactly what he's saying, but the bigger point I understand and I sort of connect with. And that is this idea of, um, outsiders coming into the country. It's exactly what you said. And a lot of voters really were sort of reassured by that. They liked that there was finally a candidate who was openly talking about this idea of there are all these people from the outside coming in, taking away our jobs. They, there's, a, there's a big population, a big segment of the population that wants to hear that message. And that obviously is what Donald Trump is once again harnessing.
2: Yeah. But, you know, Dave, after he's been Aware of the fact that he is echoing Adolf Hitler. He again repeats Mm -hmm. these comments. Uh, He says they're ruining our country It's true. They're destroying the blood of our country. That's what they're doing. They're destroying our country. Mm -hmm. I mean You know people can say oh, this is this is just Donald Trump He's just being Donald Trump. It sounds as though and I mean it just is the case. This is what he, he believes this stuff
5: And he's operating in a political context where he's confident most voters even if they wince are going to agree with him the way the the, the phrase i often hear republicans use to blow off everything trump says is mean tweets oh he had some mean tweets but look at the policies we had yeah. so he's operating in context where when he's talking about immigration when voters are thinking about immigration are they thinking about his quote or are they thinking about eric adams saying new york falling apart because of migrants are they thinking about reports of chicago centers where migrants are being are being held and, and staying protest in the neighborhood about that? Are they thinking about chaos? And if they're thinking about chaos, they're they're going to be ready for me no matter what I say. He does get led into these cul-de-sacs where something something's discussed on TV, he gets irritated, he talks about it, it blurts out his message. But for him, a day where people are talking about immigration, no matter how he talks about it, is a good day. I mean, and a lot of these ideas, building a wall, mass deportation, look at the polling from when he left office to now, it is popular. So the, you, I think Democrats are trying to change the conversation to his rhetoric, and he's very confident now that if it, no matter what his rhetoric it is, people will quietly agree with him.
2: And, and Nia, I mean, Nikki Haley is the other story. I think right now, as we head into Iowa and New Hampshire, she is surging to some extent, whether it's to the extent that she could even come close to overtaking Trump in any of these states, that remains to be seen. But she was talking about how Trump is coming after her now. Others are coming after her. Let's listen to that.
8: Do you hear that sound? That's the sound of us surging because now Donald Trump's running an ad against me and we'll be happy to take it. And what Trump's ad says is a lie that Ron already got called out for. He says, I wanted to raise the gas tax. It's absolutely not true.
2: I mean, I guess if she's being attacked, that's, that's a good thing right yeah, now. It,
7: yeah. It's a good thing. Um, listen, she's only at, what, maybe like 20%, I think, uh, in, in New Hampshire, maybe around there in Iowa as well. She's got a lot of ground to make up uh, at, at this point. She was able to obviously kind of uh, push Ron DeSantis to the side, and some of that was he's just not very good at running for president or being uh, a politician. And, and so, yeah, and she is very good at that. She's been very good at debates. Uh, she's very charming. You can see uh, in some of these uh, polls, she does very well with uh, independents, suburban women, but it's unclear if she'll be able to get to that point, right, and overtake uh, the big man on campus, who is Donald Trump, uh, who still is beloved among uh, GOP-based voters. And the other key
2: question is, if she can beat Donald Trump in New Hampshire, what happens in South Carolina?
5: Where where she's trailing, New Hampshire voters are, the electorate is different. It's going to be half independents, probably given the Democratic primary, and that's not like any other... Michigan looks a little bit like that. No other state does. Yeah. And so that—that that is a, a problem she has not overcome. The way she talks now, though, she's, she's in a position that a lot of surging candidates like to be in, which is nobody attacked her when she was 5 or 6 percent in the polls. Now that she's being attacked, the, the substance of the attack doesn't matter. The fact that she's being attacked, she can say, they're scared of me. Mm-hmm. They're I'm being attacked because I'm winning. They're wrong because I, they're losing and they and they want to beat me. Uh, I don't know how long she can get away with that. She's got away with it for a few, really, since the the third debate—that's been her message. You're, if they're attacking me, the substance is irrelevant. It means that I'm—I'm—I'm going to win this thing.
2: All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. great discussion. Uh, in the meantime, President Biden is back on the road today to talk up the economy, convincing Americans it's better than they think it could be. The, that is the key to his reelection at this point. New reporting on the pulse inside the president's campaign headquarters. That's next. Nice. Just into CNN, President Biden speaking about the historic ruling disqualifying Trump from the Colorado ballot because of the 14th Amendment's insurrectionist ban. Uh, the president spoke to reporters just a few moments ago. you self-evident. You saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies or let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported an insurrection. And no question about it. None. Zero. And uh, he seems to be doubling down on about everything. Anyway, I've got to go do this. Hey, what is, do, are we
4: expecting a hostage deal anytime
1: soon? Yes. Oh, really? Okay.
2: Well, well, where? Where?
1: Over Oh, no, I was, I was talking
2: about... You talking 30. about... The, we're pushing it. We, I, I don't. We, there's no expectation at this point, but we are pushing. It.
8: Can you address the prisoner exchange with Venezuela, sir?
2: Yeah. I, can I do that after this event? Okay. All right. But it looks good. It looks like Maduro, so far, is keeping his commitment on a free election. It ain't done yet. Got a long way to go. But uh, but it's good so far.
10: And your reaction to 20,000 dead in Gaza? That death toll reached today. that like reached today.
2: Thank you, uh, there you have the president there uh, and, and, and MJ uh, when the reporters were asking him to comment on the Colorado case you know he was kind of a, away from the cameras you know you had to sort of lean in to listen to the audio but when he was asked is Trump an insurrectionist the president did move up to the cameras and yeah was quite audible there. He seemed to maybe want to take that question.
8: Yes. And, (laughs) I mean, he was reacting to the news, but honestly, what he was saying wasn't new, right? Because we've heard him say this before as far as, January is concern. I mean, in fact, he's given like major speeches that are just about or, you know, solely about uh, mainly centered around what he sees as these like major threats to democracy. So, I mean, I think the fact that he was eager to address what is this huge news, not surprising. But again, uh, just the legal aspect of it, like he is going to be very careful to not touch that and not even give off the impression that he is trying to sort of meddle in that.
2: And he was asked about hostages. Potential for a deal uh, in the Middle East on that. And you have some, some new reporting on some of this.
8: Yeah, I mean, our reporting is that Israel is sort of back at the negotiating table, which is a, a big shift since the the pause and the fighting had ended and the hostages stopped coming out. Uh, the fact that they are willing to sort of start putting proposals on the table, I think it is noteworthy. Uh, we don't know where that's going to go, but I do think that both Israel and Israel, uh, and Hamas, I mean, they're under a tremendous amount of pressure, I think, for the Israeli government. Uh, obviously, the public opinion, the public sentiment, the global support eroding, uh, none of that is helping. I think the fact that they mistakenly killed three Israeli hostages, that has been uh, terrible for the prime minister uh, and his government. Uh, and then I think for Hamas, the, the belief among U.S. and Israeli officials was always that uh, once the uh, military operations resumed in southern Gaza, that they would feel that pressure and that at some point they would they would think that the pause needed to come back and so they will agree to releasing more hostages again. We just don't know uh, whether and when we're going to get there.
2: Yeah. And and Nia, get back to uh, the president's trip here. He's in Wisconsin. Yeah. Big, important swing state, critical to the president's reelection chances, and he's going to be trying to, to talk about the economy as things are starting to swing in the right direction for him politically. Your sense of it?
7: Well, listen, uh, he has got to convince voters uh, that the economy is much better than they feel like it is. There is obviously inflation. There is also a wage increase, but it sort of doesn't really uh, even out as well. There's just sort of lingering anxiety about the trauma the nation has gone through uh, because of covid over these uh, last years. So here's a president who has to go to these uh, states, Wisconsin, the sort of blue wall states that he was able to. Uh, to sort of piece together in uh, 2020 and he's got to reach out to African-American voters, he's got to reach out to young voters uh, who aren't as uh, confident in him as they were before. There is some discontent about his policies on any number of issues, most presently Gaza uh, and Israel, and so he's got a real tall order and a lot of Democrats are like he's got to get to it now. They feel like in some ways he's leaning back a little bit too much.
2: Well well, and Dave, I mean we do have, uh, the polling issues continue for the president, There's a headline in Slate that uh, the polls are as bad as they could possibly be right now. There's no precedent for this, according to Slate. Uh, But uh, I do want to point out, Dave, New York Times-Siena College poll, Biden leading Trump 47-45 among likely voters. No clear leader. We should emphasize that within the margin of error and so on. But despite all of this tough news for the president in recent weeks, this is still a, a, a very tight race and it's probably going to remain so.
5: It's tight with Trump and what Democrats will tell you, uh, they told all of us, is keep watching these economic numbers. They're going to show up in the data. Go back and read articles from 1983 about Ronald Reagan and how people felt so sour about the economy in his age. And they turned around. That is that that is their theory that things are going to turn around as soon as people feel that that we have moved on. They feel the growth of the economy. They feel that the recession, which a lot of people predicted would happen this year, didn't happen. That's it. It just—it just, just wait for th- people to feel like things have improved. Even in Republican rhetoric, they talk about fighting inflation. It's—it's—it's it's, it's low enough now that we're the Fed's talking about lowering rates next year, and that's something all Democrats say is yes. Is it going to lead the news on a day when Trump is uh, kicked off Colorado ballot? Probably not. But wait, wait till May and see what the Fed does, and then see how optimistic people are. Yeah. Nothing the Biden can change except for these mm-hmm. external
2: factors. If it's not morning in America yet, perhaps it's the night as darkest just before the dawn. <laughs> Maybe that's the stage that the Biden folks feel they're yeah. in right now. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Uh, Did the January 6th insurrection make Donald Trump ineligible for the presidency? We'll talk to a constitutional expert about how the Supreme Court might rule. That's next.
3: I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them on Be My Guest, the podcast new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten,
2: and join us wherever you get your podcasts. To help us understand how the Colorado Supreme Court decision could play out, I am joined by Professor Derek Muller, who's an expert in elections and the Constitution at Notre Dame Law School. Uh, Derek, uh, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Uh, it obviously, this is heading towards the Supreme Court. Uh, there, uh, I guess there's a pretty decent variety of uh, possible outcomes. What's your sense of it? I mean, are the predictions accurate that you're hearing from some? This will just be nine to nothing. The, the Supreme Court will uh, throw this out.
6: So, I don't think that's likely. I, I think it's going to be a very contested question. I think there are lots of ways for the court to go uh, if it does want to throw it out, um, but I think there's going to be some very serious arguments uh, on history and original understanding of the Constitution that that could divide the court in some interesting ways. Um, so I think there's a lot of challenges for the plaintiffs, there's no question. They have to win on everything, every element, which they did in Colorado. Um, But at the same time, uh, there are going to be some some serious challenges that the Supreme Court will consider, and we'll see if there's consensus, if they want to try to reach a, a general understanding so that there's not divisions on the court, or if it does start breaking down among the justices about the right approach in this case.
2: And how much does it matter to the case that Trump has not been convicted of or even charged with insurrection? We heard the president say a few moments ago that it's apparent to him that the former president is an insurrectionist. Uh, but from a legal standpoint, how much of that is going to be an issue do you think before the high court?
6: So I don't know that that issue will be uh, very significant in the court's eyes. Uh, in a separate provision of the 14th Amendment uh, that talks about how the right to vote is uh, m- might not be uh, given to those who have previously been convicted of a felony or other infamous crime. So that same provision of the Constitution also expressly uses words like criminal conviction, whereas this section of the Constitution uh, talks about the words engaged in insurrection. It doesn't seem to really require a criminal conviction. So I think it's a very popular rhetorical point, but I'm not sure it's the kind of legal argument that's going to have as much weight when it gets to the United States Supreme Court. But but we'll see how persuasive the arguments are.
2: And how interesting might it be that we could have some justices who uh, typically opine for originalism when it comes to how... Uh, They view the Constitution. uh, And yet uh, that might not be convenient uh, in terms of how they might want to rule in all of this. Uh, What do you think?
6: Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of originalism that's happened in these cases. If if you read the briefs, if you read the, the arguments from the legal experts and the historians, it's a lot of discussion about, what was happening in 1868. What did the newspaper articles of the time say? What did the, the justices writing at that time have to say about this law? Um, so I think there's gonna be a lot of pressure at least to have an original focus as much as the court can. Um, but there's also no question that for the originalists, uh, it might end up being the kind of case that uh, harms a former president of the United States and perhaps one who appointed them to the court. So it does set up these tensions in the court, but I think that's why they're insulated. They uh, hold their offices for life. And I I think there's a reason why they they have the ability to issue decisions without thinking as much about the the repercussions that might come.
2: And does the Supreme Court need to act quickly here, do you think, because could you have a scenario emerge where other states will say, okay, well, Colorado is doing this now, so I guess we better jump on top of this.
6: Yeah, I think there is a risk of a cascading effect, you know, uh, that Colorado is the first to reach this decision on the merits, but maybe not the last. There's cases pending in Maine and in Michigan and in Oregon right now. And I think more are coming as ballot deadlines approach and as the primaries begin. So I think there's a risk that more of these states jump on. And I think the the pressure from the Supreme Court will be to weigh in sooner than later for no other reason than the very practical concern that voters out there now have a very serious question in their minds about whether or not this candidate is eligible to vote for, whether or not it's gonna be eligible to serve in office. I think voters are going to want that certainty and decide, should I waste my vote? Am I risking wasting my vote? Should I vote for somebody else? Um, so there remains to be some pretty significant and uncertain effects in the primaries and political process and a reason why the Supreme Court is going to have a lot of pressure to weigh in much sooner rather than later. All right. Very good. Well,
2: stay tuned for that. Perhaps that'll be an early uh, 2024, something to look forward to in the new year. Uh, Derek, thanks very much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, coming up, a new legal challenge to the Texas law targeting migrants illegally crossing the border. We'll take you live to the border next. Two civil rights groups are suing Texas over its controversial new border law. The bill comes as Texas has seen a surge of crossings at the southern border, more than 12,000 migrants in just the past 24 hours. Critics argue it's illegal and will lead to racial profiling, Governor Abbott says it simply allows law enforcement officials to do their jobs in texas and cnn's rosa flores is live for us near the border in eagle pass texas rosa what can you tell us
10: well jim what i can tell you is that there are communities along the u s southern border that are concerned about this very bill and let me show you why take a look behind me you'll see thousands of migrants that are waiting to be transported for immigration processing now all of these migrants Um, will eventually be in federal custody. It's the responsibility of the federal government to apprehend them, to process them, determine if they have legal basis to be in the United States or not. Now, under SB4, this new law that was just signed by Governor Greg Abbott, it makes the illegal entry into the state of Texas a state crime. So what communities are worried about is that what you're looking at could become a state problem a state issue and uh whether it be uh, county judges or sheriffs they're wondering uh, how are we going to house these people where are we going to hold them and where is the money for training going to be coming from i talked to the maverick county sheriff about this take a listen are your deputies trained to enforce that law
2: no not exactly I'm hoping to get some kind of a, get some kind of training.
10: Have you heard from the governor's office about training or about jail capacity increases or anything like that?
2: No, we haven't heard anything. I'm hoping that we will, but I haven't heard anything yet.
10: Does this law put you in a bind? It, it does. Now, Governor Greg Abbott maintains that this law is constitutional, and he says that he plans to take this legal fight all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And Jim, all of this, as we're hearing more uh, from a CBP official about what's driving this, this surge this particular time, and according to this official, there are pseudo um, uh, travel agencies that are orchestrating some of this. But I think we ran out of time, Jim, so I'm going to toss back to you.
2: All right. Great reporting, though, as always, Rosa. Uh, starting laws is one thing, enforcing them quite another. A great point there from the sheriff. Uh, Thanks very much for joining us on Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts right after the break. Have a great day.
6: I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.